Welcome to the Blur and Blend Marketing Podcast. Hear how marketing professionals worldwide are navigating in the blur of today's challenging consumer marketplace as they blend new age strategies and partnerships that create marketing success. Here's your host for the B&B, marketing professional and global educator, Trish Rubin. Hi, everyone. It's Trish Rubin, and welcome to Blur and Blend Marketing. And I am so happy to be here with my colleague and friend, Barnaby Winter. And actually, I have to say, I met Barnaby because I went on Clubhouse. And I took the chance doing it. It was almost like going to the wild, wild west. I didn't have any idea what I was going to find on Clubhouse, but I found Barnaby. And that made it all worthwhile for me (laughs) because I found a brand expert, a speaker, a practitioner, a mentor. I know he's a mentor. He's already spoken in my class twice. Barnaby is a great influencer. He understands brands so well that he's got more than 600 brand influences and the stories of their success behind him. And we talk about the rearview mirror in the podcast. He's got a lot to look at. He has a unique methodology called the brand bucket. I'm sure he's going to talk to us about that. And what I like about Barnaby and what I can learn from listening to him is how he captures an audience. Since 2008, Barnaby has been working in front of live audiences and thousands and thousands of people have heard about his message and heard about his methodology. And as things begin to open up again, we know that there'll be that opportunity again for Barnaby. I know I can't wait to have a front row seat. So let me introduce you to Barnaby Winter. Hi, Trish. How are you today? So good to be here. I'm really happy to have you here as well. I said that you've been just really wonderful about sharing your practice with us as a mentor in my my classes and my courses are all on Zoom right now. And so you visited people all over the world in my classes on Zoom and have uh, given them the benefit of what your years have been in this industry of communication, marketing, and branding. And now we get to go on a journey. The way the podcast works is that we take a drive. And one day, I can't wait to actually be driving Possibly have that on a road in in England with you, Barnaby, when I get to go and visit. And we'll get in a car and we'll drive and enjoy that time. And right now, virtually, we get to do it. We take a journey. I'd like to provide guiding stories to my listeners. And one way to do this is to set up the conversation around three checkpoints, let's say. When we get in a car to take a journey, the first thing we do is look behind us. And in this podcast, that's where we hear about the hindsight of our guests. What has happened before them that has made them who they are today in the industry of branding, marketing, communication, advertising. And then we journey down the road and the guest begins to tell us insights about what's happening now for them, what they want to keep their eye on, what's interesting to them, what they love doing when they roll up their sleeves as a marketing or branding consultant, communicator. And then I ask my guests to look a little bit further down the road at what's coming. So we've talked about the hindsights and the insights, but what about a little bit of foresight? Hard to do right now because things have changed so much over the last 18 months, our guests do have some great foresight about guiding principles that they've shared with me. And I know Barnaby will have that. And then finally, I ask, what's your favorite color, Barnaby? And then I'll get a sense of what color that car has been. And maybe even, is it a convertible or is it a <laughs> a sedan or what? Maybe it's a motorcycle. I, I never know what my guests are going to say. And I love that question because we kind of end on a fun note. So welcome to Blur and Blend Marketing. And Barnaby, let's get the journey going. Let's have you adjust the rear view mirror. Fantastic. Are you, are you, yeah, listen, are you sitting comfortably, Trish? I do like this car. It's very nice. Actually, it's got a lot, lots of uh, 
put some things I've leather, not been Leather interior. <laughs> leather, I do like a bit of leather, but that's not necessarily just in my car. The um, the uh, so well, yeah, listen, listen, looking back. I've had an astonishing career, um, and actually, it's always good to look back because one tends to forget. One's always focused on going forward and things like that. One tends to forget. So, I, my my uh, my uh, fascination for marketing began at university when I realised I wasn't going to become an educational psychologist uh, because I just wasn't cut out for that. I was doing psychology as a degree, and I settled on advertising as a as a possible next step from uh, from my degree. Uh, went and did a postgraduate diploma in advertising and also one in marketing at the same time because I got a bit bored with the advertising one. Uh, in between that, the university and that course, I went around Australia on a motorbike. Uh, I rode all the way around the outside. Uh, 17,000 miles took a year to do that, uh, partly because I missed the application deadline for for the, the postgraduate course because I, I was in the pub too much, which was a shame. But hey-ho, these, these things happen when you're young. Um, had a great time in Australia, came back. Did the postgrad went straight into the advertising industry and then enjoyed uh, an accelerated career uh, in advertising. And uh, within uh, a space of just eight years, I became the youngest managing director of a top 200 advertising agency in the centre of London, having worked at Ogilvy and Mather, which is one of the world's largest advertising agencies. I'd worked on Ford and retail and detergents and all sorts of different things. I'd launched... Uh, various other things as well. Uh, I'd launched Eurostar, which is a, a train thing, and hotels and all sorts of things, and became this youngest MD uh, of, a, of this agency, uh, which had at the heart of it a, a thing called the Brand Bucket. And uh, that was in 1999. And in 2001, I bought that agency in the June of 2001. Um, and unfortunately, having won a very large charity in, in the UK and, and got them into the top 10 eventually. Um, some people flew airplanes into buildings in New York and changed world order. And actually, at that time, we'd launched E-Trade, which became the world's largest online broker under us. Uh, we were working with Bookham Technology that had become a Claro based in America. Uh, we were working with Deutsche Post, which is the world's largest mailing company. Uh, all of these just stopped spending after September the 11th or 9-11, I think, as you call it. And um, um, so we faced a real crisis as an agency. I had 35 staff, uh, huge overheads in central London, fancy building. Um, and what the crisis was a combination of our big clients just bringing down the shutters on, on, on paying their fees. They just said, look, we're not really sure what Bush is going to do and we're not sure where the world's going, so we're just going to hold off a little bit. So my run rate, which at the time was £47,000 a month, which is a run rate is how much money you need to earn just to stay open, was down in November of, uh, uh, sorry, in October of 2011, I invoiced £4,000. And in November, I invoiced £4,000. So by the end of end of uh, 2001, I was in a little bit of financial bother. So I got everybody together and said, listen, guys, I'm not sure where the market's going. Marketing is going through a fundamental change. The impact of the internet, by which had been with us maybe three three years or so by that time, as a real impact on, on marketing. So I'm not really sure. It's quite clear there's going to be a lot of change. I'm not sure what's going on with that. Advertising isn't really working anymore. Traditional marketing methodologies aren't working anymore. So I brought everybody together and said, listen, guys, I'm not sure where this is going. I think perhaps we should we should think about closing the agency. And they they all kind of rebelled against that and said you must be mad what we're doing with the brand bucket is amazing we what can we do to support you so we embarked in early 2002 on a journey to define uh, a process uh, for marketing um, that client modern day clients in that day could then apply to their business and build uh, an amazing brand and we set ourselves a, a task of six months to do this 35 of us we spent a whole day in a in our boardroom Tons of sheets of paper from the flip chart, all with, and we all gave each other jobs, and we all decided that we would relaunch in six months' time and see where we'd gone. That job, Trish, took seven years, and we hadn't completed that job until uh, early 2009, uh, by which time we'd seen some sort of 400 or so businesses come through our doors and go back out again and, you know, having created brands for them, websites, all sorts of things. I've built over 400 websites in my career. Um, uh, we 
come up with this amazing formula for marketing success. What had also happened in that period is I'd moved from an employed organization to a freelance organization. So in early 2009, I had 35 freelancers and two employees and myself in a whacking great building in central London, because as people had resigned or retired or got new jobs or done whatever or just left, um, we'd replace them with freelancers. So we were running this amazing freelance community in a very expensive building. And um, I, in 2008, had been asked by the freelance community that I was looking after, so can I go out and tell the world about our amazing new formula so we could get more business? So that's when I started becoming a speaker. Um, Somebody... After I was speaking for nothing, of course, and then uh, somebody came up to me after a gig and said, that was incredible. I'd like, you know, how could you come and speak to our organization? I said, yes, of course, I'd love to. And they said, how much do you charge? And I went, um, uh, 500 pounds? And, and they said, you've never charged before, have you? And I went, no, I can't I said, right, well, first of all, I'm going to take that. No, that changed. And secondly, let me introduce you to the world of professional speaking where you get paid mm-hmm. to speak. Anyway, so from that point on, I, I realized there was a whole industry. I joined the, uh, uh, the the Professional Speaking Association here in the UK, and I built my, my, my portfolio there and started speaking. And as, as you said, I've spoken to over 17,000 businesses now worldwide. I have a, a spreadsheet which lists all the, all, how many people are in the audience. So that's how I know that. And, uh, and um, uh, in 2009, I'm speaking at a conference, and there was a behavioral economist there, and I was being billed as a behavioral marketer. And uh, he got up on stage, and the great thing about being a speaker is you get to hear other great speakers. And he stood up, and he said, um, there's going to be a double-dip recession. Um, and, and the reason is uh, because of the electricity output in China, which I've been tracking for 35 years, and the indications are that uh, there's going to be a double-digit recession based on the electricity output of China, which has dropped off a cliff, and also the number of wind farms in Spain, which also mapped exactly to the economies of the world. Uh, and he said, so anyway, I sat in the audience and went, oh, I just, I've just spent 10 years of hell. <laughs> I don't, I don't, now, I don't, I don't think I've got stomach. another pivot. <laughs> I know, I, I've, got, I've got the stomach for that. So I went back to, did my gig and blah, 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 and uh, went back to uh, the office, got my two employees into a room and said, listen, I'm going to close the agency. And they said, yeah, we've heard this story before. I said, no, 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 that was 10 years ago. I am definitely closing it now because there's a double-dip recession and I, I haven't got the stomach for doing it. And anyway, so w- I said, will you help me do it? So we spent a year taking my system and my process and moving it to the cloud. And uh, anybody who was in that space at that time would realize that you couldn't simply do that. It wasn't cloud-based services like like there are today. Um, so we stitched together high-rise and base camp, and we had Dropbox, and we had this and that all in its early format, and we kind of stitched together. And a year later, I closed. I gave the keys back to the landlord. I gave away an overhead of £330,000 a year and pushed out on my own with the same network of freelancers that I had, but actually they worked from home or, or we met in places in cafes and clubs in London and things like that. And actually, I've never looked back since then. I've been running now uh, the Brand Bucket Company for this is my 11th year. Um, I've never made as much money. Uh, I've never enjoyed work so much. I've uh, I work with probably five or six major corporates a year. I mentor. I'm currently mentoring 21 business leaders with more room uh, more room for more. Uh, I'm speaking. I aim to speak 35 times a year. I spoke 48 times last year, in, in including uh, the, the things I did for you, Trish. Um, and um, uh, and I write. I've written a book, and I'm just about to finish my second one on marketing. So you know, I'm just really enjoying life, uh, being with 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 businesses who who want to make a difference. Yes, and you know, I love that the time spent in in looking in the rearview mirror and in historical sense and hearing how those major shifts in the world created the, uh, it didn't, it didn't bring things to a halt for you. I think from what I hear is that there's a lot of learning that went on in those times of shifting and a lot of agility and adaptation that, uh, 
some companies weren't able to do as well as as you had done. And then also the idea of, which I think insight now too, of hearing things, following trends, understanding what's happening outside of your industry. So when you can hear something from the economic sector, really pay attention to it, it can really help you to prepare for what's going on next. And, you know, the idea of, um, you know, I've seen this before and I'm not doing it again. (laughs) And then showing what happens to that leads us to this time. I I know you said, you know, when you gathered your people together um, in the first go round 2001, you know, what's not working and where is this going for us? Those, you know, two questions are so important. So if we want to think of even today, in the sense of what we've been through in the last 18 months or so. And then, you know, what you're seeing, what, what is perhaps working and where is it going now? We, we, in our first conversation off, off of the podcast recording, we're talking about how things are opening up in the UK and in New York and in the States. So when you have a business that is now able to be more adaptable, that can function with let with the you know in a frictionless way. Uh, how do you see the what 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 are your insights for today based upon you know what's going to be working and where do you think this is going for for you? So I, I think I think that's a great question, and I think so. So you know, if well, let's 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 get back in the car. You know, we're, we're driving along. I've had a look in the rear mirror now. Let's just look at what what what. What information have I got to enable me to navigate the road in front of me? Yeah. Clearly, I've got what's going on in, in the windscreen, um, but I've also got a dashboard on my on, on my car. And mm-hmm. I think one of the the key things that you need to be doing as a business is you need to be designing a dashboard, which mm-hmm. uh, which really gives you the indicators that your business is going in the right direction. And that you're going at the right speed, and you're not using up too much fuel, and the engine isn't overheating, and all of that sort of thing. And actually, it's a it's a great analogy for where you run a company. The steering wheel is obviously a strategy, so that that's the thing. And you you know you know whether you're going to turn left or turn right or carry on going straight on. One of the things that that certainly I'm pretty convinced about is that I have never pivoted at any time in my career. What I have done is I have repurposed my same value proposition. So I think what you ought to be doing is looking at the context of the marketplace and then repurposing your value proposition against the context, not pivoting. For me, a pivot is you end up doing something entirely different. And the trouble is you're kind of going back to startup, Mm. begin again mode. Mm. But it's further complicated because you've also got all this experience in a completely another area. So you start to overlay the experience in the wrong area in another wrong area, and you can make a a huge mess of it. So I'm I'm a big resistor to pivoting. But what I am Mm. a big advocate of is you must continue to repurpose, you know. Uh, Madonna was always a singer, but she reinvents herself, but she's always still Madonna, you know, and I've always been mm-hmm. uh, marketing. I've always been about brand. I've always not, not branding. I've been about brand. And, um, and what I'm doing is making sure that the context for brand is always shifting, always changing. So what's that mean today? What, 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 how would you address the market today? Well, one of the things that has really happened since, since the advent of Google in 1998, is people have flooded uh, the market uh, in the digital economy. The knowledge economy has just grown exponentially to a point where actually there's almost nothing that you can't learn, look up, find out about yourself by just simply going online. And what's happened is smart people. I mean, we we I read a book called The Challenger Sale back in in in, in 2011, and. Uh, um, and it was all about generating insights and feeding the market with insights and demonstrating your subject matter expertise. And I think this is true whether you're a personal brand or you're a, a corporate brand. You need to demonstrate your subject matter expertise. What makes you an expert in your particular field? And that's why you don't pivot because you don't have any expertise in a pivoted field, but in a repurposed value proposition, you've got expertise. So, But the thing that's really different today is – when people begin their buying journey, the first thing they do, according to Mary Meeker and, and the e-commerce foundation, they go online 
and they do their own research and they find out how what they need to know in order to buy. But what what they find buyers are finding now is they're being overwhelmed by a mass of really good information to a point now where actually you you are confused because uh, sources that you would rely on could be friends, could be peers, could be trip advisors, could be, um, you know, uh, uh, customer satisfaction surveys. It could be just good websites. It could be the media. Wherever you go, they tend to have opposing opinions, but they both, they both sort of add up. So the real opportunity now is to help the people you want to engage with make sense of the decisions they're buying, that they're, they're making. And what I mean by that is you need to act as a broker of all of the great information and knowledge that's out there about the thing in which you are a subject matter expert. And if you do that, you will become effectively the go-to person or the go-to brand because people say, whenever I need to know something about X, I'm going to go to this person because they will always give me the right degree of advice. Now, the trick here is to listen um, and, and listen to what the buyer is looking for, the person you want to engage for, listen hard, and then interrogate, have they done all their homework? And then give them the information to make effectively what feels like an independent decision about their next action. So actually, this is about us sitting in the car, driving along, and and saying, well, you know, where do we want to go? Do we want to go to the shops, in which case we've got to go into the centre of town? Do we go want to go out fly fishing, as we were talking about before? Then we've got to go out of town, and we've got to go to where the lakes are uh, or the rivers are or whatever. So actually, you need that information, that context. You need to help people make sense of the context they're driving in, and then so they can then make decisions that that are right for them. Now, ideally, you set a context in such a way as you become the person they buy from. But it's actually equally viable to say, look, actually, I wouldn't be buying from me. I would be buying from them over there because what you've just told me you need. And they go, yeah, but what if I need what you do later on? And you go, okay, well, then you've got two choices. You can start with them and come to us, or you can start with us and we'll do what they do, and then but you'll, we'll move you on. So what you do is you nurture them into a kind of a sense-making environment. And that's what you've got to do right now today. You've got to help people make sense of all the huge knowledge bank that's out there that's just confusing people in, 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 and they don't know what to do because they look like they need to do everything. They're overwhelmed. And uh, that's the thing to do right now strategically is help people make sense of their buying decisions. Yeah, it just seems that um, that that's something that because the idea of buying and I know you've talked about this before in, in, in my classes the whole idea of re reaching into that wallet and parting with that that money and the, the the power in that and so you know to be cavalier and think you know that you you, you can just do this without really understanding the sense I love the sense making effort of that but I, I that stays in my mind that when you when you spoke about that whole that whole act of parting with that that dollar yes uh, yeah what, what you've got to do is you've got to portray your value to a point where uh, what you're offering is worth more than how people value the money in their wallet that's starbucks and, i mean for me you know that yeah. i can see you know people running around putting eight dollars down for basically a commodity it's just there yes and that they've been able to just release that from people that they'll that that they don't that they do it <laughs> absolutely absolutely and it's coffee is a great example you know the people who grow the coffee beans get a certain amount of money the people who package the coffee beans and then they get a certain amount of money. The people who grind the coffee beans up into stuff that makes coffee, they get a certain amount of money. But the people who are really making the money are your are your coffee baristas, you know, that are making it into a coffee, creating an experience, making it amazing, and actually make sense of coffee for you. Because what they're doing is they're saying, actually, what kind of coffee do you want? We'll make it exactly as you want it. We've blended it. When you take this cup of coffee away, it's going to be how coffee should taste. Whether, whether you're a Starbucks fan or a, or one of the other retailers' fans, that's kind of irrelevant. What you're buying into is 
somebody you know handing you a coffee experience perfectly designed that makes sense of how coffee should be drunk that's that's how it works i think it's very clever and, and thank you for, like this part of the journey and i want to go back to this whole idea of, of how you've distinguish the idea of not pivoting because I know I even said that earlier in the podcast we're used to being able to think that that's you know the agility factor is really what you need and and then by actually saying you know you really just know what the context is and how do you repurpose yourself against that for the the value proposition that you have to bring but it's I love that Madonna is still Madonna and that's thank you for that you know I think that that's really been a good part of the journey for those who are listening really get your head around that because we do hear a lot of these signals of trying to just keep agile and pivoting yeah i i I just i just you know what whatever stage of life you're in whatever stage of business life you're in the thing that differentiates you is your style and your experience and and that's that's key to that now pivoting often you know, often means you 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 change your style or you ignore your experience. That's just madness, in my opinion. Well, that, you know, I I I want to work with people who've who've trod the boards, however long it is. It doesn't matter, and you know, it's not that's not an age thing. You know, young people are, are, are brilliant with technology. People under you know under thirty have never known a world without the internet. You know, that's you know that's their whole field of vision is entirely different. So, of course, you're going to listen to them when they say, "I've got this great." angle on the way technology works and things like that so so you're mad not to 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 discount that but pivoting often means kind of putting all of that in the bin and changing your style ignoring your experience it makes no sense to me at all to be honest i think that's that along with the idea of designing the dashboard uh, i can actually feel like that has to be part of the title for this conversation you know designing the the dashboard for your post-covid journey so yeah I really and think part of what you bring, what you bring, and the power of what you bring is, uh, is just being able to communicate uh, so succinctly uh, around things that are, are are complex, but also around things that people just sort of take for granted. And you want to say no, it's this is what we're going. This is the way to be looking at it. Absolutely, absolutely, and then and that gives people real sense of purpose, and then you can put all of your energy into driving that purpose. And then people want to attach themselves to you because you've got the energy in that element of their life, and that's where well, they'll give you money for it. You know. So, so yeah. So so as we look to you know finishing the journey, and we just look a, a bit ahead um, down the road. So you know we've got a dashboard, and you've given us great insights and in, uh, uh, in the conversation of sense making. Uh, how do you keep that? That puzzle, how, how do you keep that focus as you're looking down the road? What what's coming, perhaps, or were there are there capabilities now that you're sensing either out of this this darker time that will help us to um, not just recover, but you know, actually repurpose? Yeah. So I, I, again, you know, I think about these things a lot, Trish, partly because I might get asked that question on a podcast. But the um, the the. <laughs> I think we listen let's let's just really define what what a brand is. A brand is every experience that affects the relationship between a product or service and its buyer. And actually the core to that is that it's a relationship. It's a relationship as we discussed earlier that I value more than the money in my pocket and therefore I give you the money in my pocket or in my wallet. So a business is simply a collection of commercialized relationships. In other words, they're relationships where it costs me less than you're going to give me, and I can that leads a little bit over, which is called profit, and therefore I can run a business. It's now that's as simple as business can get. It's a set of commercialized relationships. Now, what's mm-hmm. been fascinating about the last year, uh, the, the, the the pandemic is it's brought the idea of relationship really front of mind for everybody because part of the ways that we took for granted for having relationships, and today in the the United Kingdom, we're allowed to hug each other for the first time for seven months legally. That doesn't mean we haven't been doing it on the quiet, but, you know, if I admit that, I could get... I could get into trouble. But the truth of the matter is, legally, we've only been allowed to hug hug each other today on the 17th of May, 2021, after seven months. Now, what people are talking about is the idea of relationships. 
is that's what they've been missing. They've been on Zoom, they've been on Teams, they've been on Hangouts, they've been all of these sorts of things, and it just hasn't been the same. Now, if you look at the go-forward position, what you need to understand as a business and indeed as an individual is you're going to have to work very, very hard to build, create, nurture relationships. And when you've got them, you've got to do your damnedest to look after them really well. And I think what's coming down the line is if you recognize how you formulate relationships as a business, and that could be you're a coffee bar or a, or a hairdresser, it could be you're a lawyer or an accountant, it could be you're an insurance broker, it could be you're a detergent seller, it doesn't matter. You're still building relationships between your product or your service and the buyer. What we need to do is to define how that relationship works, how it fits into people's lives, and then apply technology to that. And what I'm expecting to see much more of going forward is I'm expecting much cleverer use of CRM. So uh, uh, I'm, I, I'm, and I'm expecting much better use of uh, humanistic technologies. And so, therefore, I think we're currently in the era of machine learning. So, getting the data to really help us understand how these relationships work, and then the real thing that's going to dominate, I think, uh, most people's lives in the next uh, five, ten, fifteen years will, will be a, will be artificial intelligence AI. And let's be quite clear about what I mean by AI, because it isn't what the media means. It isn't what people use it. AI is effectively a human interface between the machine learning and a person where you cannot tell the difference between what you are communicating with and a human being. That's AI. That's what AI is defined as. So um, your, your Alexas, your Cortanas, your series, they are basic, basic, basic AIs. We know they're machines. But one day you won't be able to tell whether you're dealing with a machine or you're dealing with a human being. Now, the businesses that get this and define their relationship-making methodologies, and my, my brand bucket is a relationship-making methodology, but that do this really well at an operational level, at a humanistic level, uh, at a marketing level. If they get that right, the flip to AI in the future is going to be really easy. Mm. And then they could be an AI-led business. And then, of course, if you've automated the delivery of whatever the product or services you've got, you're going to have an amazing business going forward. And so I think the future is all about how do we create commercial relationships in a way that makes human beings across the globe feel like they're really improving their quality of life by dealing with you and you alone. Yeah, I love that that message. And coming out of that time of, of isolation that we've been through, we, we really do value those relationships. And then it's amazing to think that maybe five years down the road, we've missed that, you know, we've missed the touch and we've missed that, that when you say, well, a business can be successful when it interfaces to the point when people don't realize that they're not with humans, but they're getting that same benefit. And that the, the word that I think about is like the trust that has to be built in with brands to be able to do that. And as you said earlier too, the people who are growing up, the Gen Zs or um, the, uh, even the earlier generations, I think of alpha gen, they're calling these little, little ones now, you know, they're, yes. they're going to, that's the world they're going to meet of trust in this human interface. Um, so when we look just a little bit down the road, I love that you've identified this AI piece and the way you define it again I, I will say that since I've met you you've really helped me to refine the way I talk about principles that I talk about uh, uh, with clients and with students and this this relational interface this idea of that human connection uh, you know I do have um, an Alexa but again I know it's Alexa and then years down the road it won't feel like that to me it will no. just be the presence of of something that I trust and that I enjoy interfacing with. Perfect. Yeah. There's a, there's a great, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a great film called Her. Um, yes. Scarlett Johansson, I think, is the voice. Um, yes. Where, where, where a man falls in love with his, with his AI, effectively, and uh, 
it, it, if you watch it, you really see what the future could 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 do yeah. for all of us. And um, I think when I saw that movie, and it's it's been years since they created that movie, and I think I'd like to look at it again, knowing now that we've lived through that, that I actually have a her. <laughs> yeah. Where I didn't have a her when I saw it, I was saying, well, no, that couldn't really happen. But when I walk into my apartment and say, hi, Alexis, good afternoon, yes. Alexa. Yeah. And she'll say, hello, Trish. <laughs> Do you exactly. want to hear a joke? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It, listen, by the time we've got wearables and then and you're constantly having your, your biometrics measured, mm -hmm. your house, when you get home, your house will say, I've already prepared your meal that will rebalance your nutrients because you've had a bit of a tough day and you've missed lunch, you know, and, and just, yes. And I've sent your doctor, my, my, uh, my, yeah, exactly. you're, brought, you're staying I've within your salt free diet or something, right? Yeah, oh, I've, I've booked you an appointment within next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, thank you. So now I think we're at the point we've, we've been on a lovely journey and thank you so much. So, uh, as we were driving in that car, I was like color. I, Today I learned that the worst that there, there's a Pantone color of brown that is the most uh, disliked color that came out today in some trend report that I saw. So I know color has a great impact on people. Um, in your car or whatever you reach for, do you have a color certain that, that you prefer? Yeah, and no, why? I, I, I'm afraid I am entirely conditioned in a very typical way. That's partly because of my generation. So. Um, <clears throat> So I, the answer is blue is the color. <clears throat> and there's lots of reasons for saying it that way. Blue is the color is a very, very famous football song, which uh, belongs to my football team, uh, ah. which is which is Chelsea in London. All the all the good things that have ever happened to me in my life, so all the big famous fans, I've worked on Ford, which is blue, and Boots Opticians, which is blue, ah. and First <laughs> Telecom, which is blue. And it just, it just blue has been around around me all the time and you know I'm, I'm i'm quite an enthusiast as you can see for ah, there it here. is you should, so, yes i can so, see that i can see you my my it's own brand is my my own brand is blue so blue blue is 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 the color for me which is as uh, as i mentioned beforehand is it's a bit boring um i i'm very partial to purple as well so the the purple and the blue are the two colors that i uh I uh, I feel at most at home with um, because I've been conditioned that way. And so, I see yeah. over your shoulder, as I can see, that there is a blue light. There is a blue <laughs> light. Yeah. Good, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm afraid I, I live I live my brand at every level. So uh, well, that's uh, one of the reasons why I I like knowing you. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast meeting uh, Barnaby on Clubhouse was just. An amazing find. Uh, just saw his value immediately. And so if you are on Clubhouse and listening, you need to follow. Want to be there as well. Uh, it's certainly been, it made my COVID year a lot brighter to have met you, no, sir. Likewise, likewise, Chris. Yeah, no, likewise. You, the same same for me on as far as Clubhouse is concerned. It was a, a wonderful making this connection and uh, in, in the way that it happened as well, which is brilliant. So it's... Uh, um, uh, so, yeah. Look forward to supporting you in many ways as we go forward. And actually, since I, I do, will be spending time back in France again, I know I'm going to cross paths with you. And Yeah, well, I shall, I shall, I, I'm sure I can find excuse. Now, tell me, what, what vehicle have we, have we been, been in then? So, uh, Well, I, I prefer the – in fact, I'm actually shopping for a car right now, and, it, and I'm looking for my third convertible. <laughs> so. Okay, so I, I have a convertible Beetle. Exactly what I'm looking for because well, I, I had an original. I had the original Beetle in '79. <laughs> so did I. That was my first car. My first ah. car was a Beetle, and oh, I grew up in a Beetle. Um, uh, so I grew up in the little bit behind the back seat on top of the uh, on top of the engine. I used to have a little room in there in the old days when you didn't have to have safety belts. So I think the, I'm told the first eleven or twelve years of my life I spent in this bit behind the back seat of a beetle, uh, whenever we went anywhere and it had my toys in there and all sorts of things. Um and um and I I've had I have a beetle cabriolet in, in, in the in the car, which you'll be pleased to know is blue. Um and uh um love it. Has, 
And uh, but it. I also I also ride a Vespa scooter. So uh-huh. uh, so uh, is that blue I, I as have, well? That is also blue. I also have a Lexus, which is also blue. So, so can you see Barnaby? Can see this? Can you see what mine? Yeah, is? I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. From <laughs> quality, quality. So I won't show you mine. I'm definitely in the blue nails. Like we definitely got we've got that connection for sure. Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much for spending time with me, and I appreciate it. And I look forward to actually giving you a hug and uh, and not breaking any rules at some point either. In this year or next year. Absolutely. I, I shall be there, arms, arms <laughs> wide, ready for that. And so. the best way people to accessory, I'll put it into the, the show notes, but the best way to be. Yeah, um, so listen, um, LinkedIn is, is is the obvious way. I am I think I'm one of a very small number, if only one, possibly two, Barnaby Winters with a Y. So it's W-Y-N-T-E-R. Um, so it's fairly distinct, but also uh, my website, which is www.barnabywinter.com. So by all means, visit that, have a look around some of the things I've done, lots of videos on there and things like that. And your um, book. And my book, yeah, The Brand yeah. Bucket, Make Your Marketing Work, uh, available on Amazon and uh, no good bookshops because it's still it's just on Amazon now. <laughs> Used to be in all the bookshops, but it's now on Amazon. But it's still That's doing well where you there. need to be. That's where you need to be for sure. But thank you so much for this time. And uh, my listeners, I'm looking forward to uh, having you enjoy this podcast and also know that I've got another one teed up uh, pretty quickly after this. And it's a very interesting woman uh, named Sue Phillips. And Barnaby, her, her claim to fame now is that she has been discovered as someone who is able to restore taste and smell to people who have lost it in COVID. And some people have lost it for a long period of time. And so she is not a doctor. She's uh, been working in the perfume industry for many, many, many years. And all of a sudden, when you talk about repurposing yourself, now this is where her purpose is, is to. um, Yeah. And you see that that's a, that's a great example of how you can make sense of your expertise and and your market for people in a new context. So it's the value proposition is the same, but the context has changed. So you're repurposing your expertise and your enthusiasm into a new market. That's a great example of that. So hopefully you can listen and on to as well. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you Barnaby and I look forward to seeing my listeners too out there on the digital road. I usually used to say, you know, I'll see you on the road, but right now it's on the digital road, but the past will definitely come together. Uh, looking forward to seeing you Barnaby in the future. Thank Thank you very much.